Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jess Geyer. I am one half of Wannabe Games, and I am a TTRPG designer now with a Kickstarter. It is it is still in play. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> At the moment I'm uh, recording this and saying this, we're only about half funded. Uh, but that for me, that's pretty good. I have a pretty small following. But you can find that. Um, uh, it's called Means of Magic with a K at the end on Kickstarter. But that's all I'm going to say about that because I want to get to my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hi, Craig. Hi, Jess. Um, I'm Craig Campbell. I'm the owner of Nerdburger Games, and uh, I also design tabletop role-playing games. And we have a guest with us today, uh, Ed Larmore. Hello, Ed. Hey, how's it going, Craig? Um, Yeah, uh, so um, my name is Ed Larmore, and I'm the developer of Scabbard.com. That's 1B. Um, There's a whole story behind that, why it's 1B. It's a website for RPG campaigns, and it's designed to replace the binder binders uh, that GMs keep for their campaigns. And I don't know, I guess in 2013, I also wrote my own D20-based uh, role-playing game called Easy D20, which I used to introduce my kids to RPGs when they were six and four. Um, they're much older now. Um, but this was back before D&D 5 simplified things, and I was just trying to come up with a simplified set of rules that, that they could deal with at that age. Do they still play games? Yeah, every once in a while. I mean, they're all. Uh, my oldest is now in college, and my uh, middle child is in high school as a senior, so they don't have a lot of time. But when we do play, we currently play a campaign in Traveler. Oh, that's awesome. I've, I've wanted to introduce my dad to TTRPGs. He got me into like board games and nerd stuff, but I want to play, I want to play a TTRPG with him. That sounds like a fun family experience. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, Craig, what are <laughs> we, what are we talking about? Cause we're not talking about playing games with your family. Although I do want to put that on our topic list now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are we talking about today? Uh, well, today on the GMing side, we're talking about co-GMing, uh, sharing GMing. So uh, this is going to be an interesting uh, topic for both of the topics today actually are going to be interesting for me because I'm going to learn a lot more than maybe I do normally because uh, both of our topics are things that I don't have a huge amount of experience with and my co-hosts and, and guests here do have uh, probably more experience with some of this stuff with me because uh, this topic is one that... Um, I guess, Ed, you gravitated toward, you chose the pairing. Um, so yeah, like when it's, uh, when it, when, when one GM is not enough, when you need more, um, for whatever reasons, let's talk a little bit about that. Like, what can you get out of that? What, uh, how do you implement sort of that, uh, that sort of a, a system? Um, who's got thoughts? Yeah, this is kind of an interesting topic for me because like, you know, when, when we first started playing, uh, RPGs as kids, you know, my brother would always be the DM. Everyone always preferred him as the DM because he was really, really good. I mean, he had lots of experience, uh, interesting adventures. And the only time I was the DM is when he wanted to take a break. And so, you know, I think I just wanted to talk about like co-GMing as kind of a mentorship experience. Um, like because he had more experience than I did, he would you know, my brother can be brutally honest sometimes. So he would just, <laughs> tell me, he would just like tell me the truth, right? But he would take me aside, you know, not in front of the other players. And he would give me tips like, hey, that was 
obvious that you made that up as you went along, right? You know, because I wouldn't be fully prepared sometimes. They'd go off in some weird direction and I'd just make up some really weird stuff. And he'd pull me aside and said, that was too obvious. <laughs> and like, I think with D&D, he was, he pulled me aside and like, and this wasn't in his character's interest, but he said, look, you're just, you're just giving out way too much treasure. Don't follow the treasure table. You're, you're just giving us too much stuff. And then he would also say stuff like, you're making the encounters way too easy. And they're, you know, all the encounters are over after just one round. <laughs> so, you know, I think mentorship, I think is a really good aspect of co-GMing. I think it's a good way of, of um, learning. I think that's a really good lens to look at that through. Um, Cause that, that was my experience when I got into GMing for the first time was that I took over when our DM needed to take a break and I wanted to try it. And having that person there who did have that experience actually running the game, although I had had that experience playing, it helped me a lot and um, kind of got me on my feet there. And I still do that. Um, like if I am in a gaming group and one person has been running games for a while, they need to take a break. I want to see, try my hand at it. Uh, it. It's nice to have that person there to kind of help you along and, and give you feedback um, when they have experience from both sides of the table. Right. This is a really like you, you just hit me upside the head with a log. Like I, I never gave any thought to that as like a, a, a benefit to co-GMing. I just, it didn't hit, didn't pop into my head. And that's an excellent point. Like just the, the, the mentoring and learning things. And I, uh, it, it goes to some of the things that Jess and I have talked about on other episodes where, you know, the GM has so many responsibilities. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we've, we've talked on a number of occasions about having, players that can help to kind of support in some of those places that the GM is always kind of, you know, weighed down with. And then, you know, if you're the primary GM and you're, you know, somebody else is going to GM for a bit, you can play, you can be that, that support player. You can be the one that kind of, well, you know, the rules really well, so you can help look stuff up. So the GM doesn't have to break stride. You can be the player that helps to draw the other players into story um, and into role play, especially with like players that are a little quieter um, to help encourage and, and you know, kind of be a good example as a player to, as Jess likes to refer to, to modeling behavior for the other players mm -hmm. um, that, uh, you know, so you, you still, you know, kind of being that support player, you're still kind of helping with some of those quote unquote GM things, but then, you know, it's making the job easier for the co GM for the new, for the, for the newer GM. Um, right. That's excellent. I really like that. I always make connections between running games and being a teacher. Um, and one of the things that you have to do oh, to be a teacher, I know <laughs> one of the things that you have to be uh, due to, to be a teacher is do a, like a student teaching thing. Um, maybe some of you have had a student teacher in your own classroom and, you know, for a while they kind of sit back they're behind the scenes and then they're like, there's like this gradual release of the student teacher into fully teaching the class. And that mentorship is super important because there's so much that you don't learn until you do it. And that's very similar with GMing. Like you can read the DMs guide all you want. You can read the narrator section of a game all you want. But when you're actually in front of players, you know, there's a lot of moving objects and a lot of um, a lot of things that don't go the way the text say that it might go or things that are not even included in the text. And just having a person who's 
who's there and available for you um, to, to kind of guide you through that process and give you feedback. I, that it's so important. Um, and it's also a great way if you are, I know this is kind of a more game design thing, but if you're a, if you're play testing a game, it's a really good way to kick the tires on something. If you sit back as a player, instead of a GM, like, okay, like, let me try to break my own game as a player. Let me try to experience this way and see how a, see how a GM might handle that uh, in this case. But yeah, that it, it's, it's a great form of collaboration. I think a lot of people have probably gotten their start that way. (laughs) Like they took over for their, their normal GM. And maybe, maybe that's what happened to me in college because, and I just didn't realize it. It's, it's, you know, it was a long time ago. Um, But, you know, there was this, the the regular group with the regular GM. And then what we ended up doing was kind of like um, tag, the GM ran Forgotten Realms. And, um, you know, each of us had like another world or another game that we liked. So like one other, another person, Marcus ran um, the Star Wars game. And so, you know, because he was the Star Wars nut in the group. And so we, we, you know, kind of move stuff around based on individual strengths and, and preferences for genres. Um, so that, that's a handy thing to do with the GMing too. It's like, it gives the group a chance to kind of change up and maybe you're going from one GM running the, uh, kind of heavy duty, like save the world, high fantasy, super magic kind of game. And then the other GM wants to be like, okay, well, we'll, I'll switch into, and we'll, we'll play out like a low key kind of moody horror game. Um, whether that be like, you know, switching within, you know, the subsystems within, within, within one game or, you know, switching to another game entirely or to, you know, another game in the system, like, you know, jumping between vampire and changeling can be two different, you know, two very different experiences, but still kind of in the same world. Um, do, do either of you have experience with, or do we want to th- talk a little bit about if these, uh, the, the two games that the G- the two GMs are doing, if they are sharing players are sharing characters or if they're sharing the world and one can influence the other. Like I could see like vampire stuff kind of influencing the changeling world and vice versa. Or um, if your characters, you know, do if, if the characters, um, the, play, the other players at the table are playing the same characters and you're just, uh, just swapping out the one uh, character that the GMs yeah. are playing. Yeah. I can talk about that. Um, so I actually have um, a PDF that is on my website. It's it's a free download, and it talks about this very concept. I think it's tip eight, which is consider co-GMing on the same world. Now, for sci-fi, that could be you know the same universe or the same galaxy. But the idea, like what me and my brother did, is you know he had a long-running campaign called Krithar that was on a world called Arona. And when I made up my world, you know, I decided to just make it a different continent on that same world. And so I got all his gods for free, you know, all the stuff. (laughs) And like he had these, this history. And so what I did is I, I started tying in the history of my continent with the history of, of his and, you know, there were several cataclysmic events in his campaign history that I decided, okay, well, that would have caused mass migrations of people leaving Krithar. And I said, so that the migrations to my world were part of the history of my world. And so it's all very intertwined. And the other like really big benefit is, you know, people don't have to make up new characters when you switch. You just say, well, uh, you get on a ship 
and now you're in this other continent and the DM of the old campaign is now has a character in the new campaign. And it worked out like really, really well. And, and I run, I mean, I haven't run this campaign in years, but it's still there um, on Scabbard. And we, I don't know, we haven't played in a while. Now we play Traveler. Um, but I thought, I thought it was a really cool way of doing things. And so that's why I put it in my PDF. And incidentally, if, you're, if your listeners want to download that, I made a special URL, um, which you can provide in, in, the, in the podcast notes. It's basically scabbard.com uh, slash nerdburger. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, for, I, I wanted to make it easy to say. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that'll be, that'll be, I'll put that up on uh, nerdburgergames.com in on the RPG R&D site or on the, sorry, on the, on the page for RPG R&D there with, uh, with Ed's episode. I'll have the note in there for the, the yeah, link. And again, that's just one B, scabbard.com slash nerdburger. I, uh, I, I love the idea of sharing a single world and, and the characters too, uh, and I've tried it once. It wasn't really super long running. Um, it was just like a little one shot that someone else jammed in the world that I had created. And it was really fun to see people explore different aspects of it that they connected to that I might not have ever included in my game. Uh, but the hard thing for me was kind of letting go and like, okay, you, you get to have this for a minute. Don't hurt it. Don't do anything wild. So I think one of the great um, tools that you should always pull out of your toolbox is communication. Um, and I'm wondering, Ed, did, did you ever run into any problems where your brother was like, okay, don't do that in my world. This is mine. Well, um, it's interesting because like part of the transition was like, I actually made up some cities in his continent. Right. Mm -hmm. Like he was like, Hey, Ed, can you make me a map? Right. And I would make a map and he said, oh, make, make sure there's like a, um, a halfling part of the city. And I made it up and and then he took it and ran with it and just added all kinds of details that I didn't know. So, you know, I thought that was a good a good way of like handing things off. And then and then as far as like stepping on each other's toes, like you're talking about, like mostly they just came to my campaign. The characters literally gone on a ship and sailed to my camp. So, he, so it's no, it's no, he doesn't really care. It's um, far enough away that it's not going to. It's far enough away that, that it doesn't matter. Right. So yeah, I thought that worked out like really well. There's um there's a show happening right now. Um, it's the, the adventure zone. Um, their first ever arc or campaign was called balance. And this one is called imbalance and it's being run by, it's being GM by Avery Iyengar. And so it's the same world, I guess. Um, and I think the same characters from this podcast. Uh, I'm really interested in seeing how they end up taking this really well-known campaign and then maybe doing something different with it. So that might be another place too to go uh, for some tips on how to run those kinds of shared worlds. Um, and that, I mean, I think for, for that, what it sounds like for you, Ed, too, like it was a really congenial kind of relationship with a lot of trust. Like you're, you're yeah. trusting them that they're not going to do something wild. Right. Yeah. I think trust is an important aspect. Like, you know, like for example, 
they're going to know things as a player that their characters might not know. Right. right. So I think, you know, certain play kind of players have a hard time separating player knowledge from character knowledge. Like I had a friend who was trying to describe how to start a, a fire uh, with, what was he doing? No, he was trying to invent things that he personally knew how they worked in real life in a fantasy campaign. <laughs> he was like describing step-by-step step that like no one in that world would know how to do. Mm-hmm. And my brother just said, no. Right. So co-jamming with that type of player just wouldn't work. Right. Cause they, they can't separate their player knowledge from their character knowledge. But I think, you know, in the case of my brother, I think he, he could do that uh, really well. And, and I can too. Now, one thing that's interesting about Scabbard is, you know, I, I have this concept of an assistant GM built into the product as a feature and Assistant GMs know secrets that are part of the page, but I also have a GM only section so that even there might be things that you don't want your assistant GM to know, and you can put that in that GM only secret section. So it's kind of built in to the product. And I think that comes again from my experience with co-GMing. It was also suggested by other um, users on the site, some of those features. The, the real world knowledge thing make, makes me, reminds me of like, it's a running joke with games of mine where if somebody kind of brings up something that's like kind of not of the game world, you know, I throw out the comment and, you know, and Jenny quickly invents forensic science, <laughs> you know, in the, in the fantasy game by examining the blood spatter and tasting the blood to figure out what it, where it came from and how it was, how the creature was injured. And <laughs> some things you can't explain away. Um, but I, I made it, I just, I make it funny. Um, <laughs> have, have either of you had any experience with, with, uh, shared GMing where you, uh, you jump back, like back and forth very tightly with the same characters, you know, but, uh, like every other story, not necessarily, not necessarily every other game session, but like every other story, I know some people have done that where, because you've got two people GMing then. And like, while one, while one person's playing for two sessions, they can be writing and preparing for a two session kind of story that they're going to pick up afterwards, but then the characters keep jumping back and forth and then they're not necessarily traveling far. I think with that sort of a situation, you know, if it's in the same city or kingdom or country or whatever, same on the same planet, same settlement, um, you know, the, 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 the GMs in question probably need to set, I think it might help to set up like, um, limitations, like just here's a, here's a list of kind of bylaws for how we're going to deal with this. Like we, neither one of us gets to introduce these types of things without like kind of letting the other person know, because it's going to be something that's going to really shake up the world and very, you know, uh, heavily affect anything that we're doing going forward. Like there's, there's no nuclear strikes on the city unless we both know they're going to happen. Um, mm. because that's going to change the world and that's going to change the game and do a very different kind of thing. People are going to be fleeing. There's going to be an apocalyptic thing happening unless you want to play, unless you've got a couple of GMs that just want to like, if the, uh, the shared understanding and the players are okay with it, that you just, gonna, you're going to mess with each other. Like, I'm just going to introduce like, Oh, there's a giant, my story ends with a plague outbreak. And now the, <laughs> the other GM has to come in and write a story that you know, in the midst of a plague. I, I, I've never played, like, I've never even played in a game and certainly not jammed in a game where it like bounced back like that, but I kind of adore the ideal idea of this, um, can like this 
adversarial in a fun way kind of GMing style. There's a story, um, a funny like back and forth story on rinkworks.com, which is this website that is still around and I, I adore it from, from the 2000s, early 2000s, where these two writers both had their own Mary Sue fantasy characters that they had written in, in novels. And then they started writing stories back and forth where after every story, they would try to one up the other or try to retcon something <laughs> or try to murder their other character in some way. And, you know, they're both Mary Sue characters. So they kept coming back. I think it'd be fun to write a, a tabletop game where that was the case. Like it's a two player tabletop game. You, you and those other person are mortal enemies and every session you were trying to murder the other person. Uh, I don't know how you would do that, but I think <laughs> it would be really fun. <laughs> I think if you did a, if you put in just it, it, from the concept in general, if you had like, if everybody's on board that, okay, this is just going to get, we're, we're, go we're going to literally try to one up each other. Like every, <laughs> every, every time I end the story, something big is going to happen. That's going to become a design, a, a, a story design challenge for you, Jess. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, so like I introduce a plague. Well, what does that happen? Okay, well, Jess has to run a story in the middle of a plague. And well, the plague gets cured, but the only cure is because <laughs> aliens come down and they have, you know, like, <laughs> and just it, everything escalates. So yeah. like every session, every, every other session, just like something happens that's huge. And everybody just comes in knowing that they're going to start off with like, you know, maybe this really kind of simple, you know, farm people you know farm farm worker types you know rural heroes and they're going to end the game with like you know world spanning you know flights into space and aliens <laughs> and <laughs> or, or horrific monsters from the beyond the edges of perception and you're like who knows where it could go that could be that would be a lot of fun like i'm realizing right now that i like this genre a lot because one of my favorite books is called this is how you lose the time war which is, it's a co-written book and every other chapter is written by the other author. And it's about these two assassins who move throughout time. And they're both trying to murder each other. Um, I, apparently that's what I like. I like the Roadrunner Coyote uh, thing. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, this discussion reminds me a little bit about um, the game Microscope. I don't know if you ever heard of it. It's a, no. it's a tiny little booklet. And the idea is you create your world the world collaboratively with your friends. Um, there's no, there's no GM. It's like, and um, there are certain rules as to what you do and you just play off each other's like decision and you write a card, let's see, and you use index cards and a pen and your imagination and that, and that's it. It's called microscope. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Mm -mm. I'll have to check it's, that out. It's pretty cool. <laughs> there was a, a story. It was like a, I don't know if it was a, like a meme kind of thing. It's a new story, kicker story, years and years and years ago. Um, and I don't know how true it was. If it was somebody, something, you know, it was anecdotal. Somebody just made something up, but it was basically a co-writing assignment in a class between like this young woman and young man. And the woman starts this story of like describing like her character is, uh, you know, like at this cottage and she's sipping tea and thinking about uh, all the people that she's wronged in her life. And she's really kind of coming to grips with some very personal things. And then it switches to the guy and he's like, meanwhile, you know, tech, uh, tech gunnery sergeant Nelson was on board the <laughs> space cruiser. <laughs> and it jumps back to her and she like narrates how she, how her character is watching a news conference that causes that brings about you know peace between the aliens and the humans and <laughs> it goes back to him and he escalates it the next one up and it's like yeah it just keeps going from there it ends it ends with like both of them complaining that they can't work with each other <laughs> it reminds me a little bit about a teacher it reminds me a little bit about a 
a game we we played when we went camping with my family. We'd go, we'd be in a camp around a campfire at night, and you'd start with one person, and they'd start telling a story. Oh yeah. Then the next person would would continue on that story, right? And then and then invariably someone would say something really bizarre, right? And then <laughs> when it, whenever we got to my nephew Michael, he would say. And then she woke up and it was all a dream. <laughs> like that would be how, how it always ends, right? It's just bizarre, right? Yeah. Um, but I think that this is a good transition into our next um, topic. What do you two think? Yeah. Um, sure. I'm just going to throw the plug out there while I'm thinking about it because this co-writing thing. Um, I've got a little book called Four Little Games. Um, and one of the games in there is called um, Little Devil, Little Angel, which it's basically a jamless game where you're playing characters that have trouble making really hard decisions. Um, and so whenever you hit a hard decision point, the player to your left becomes the devil on your shoulder and the player to your right becomes the angel on your shoulder and they give you advice and you have to do one of those things. Um, but the, the setup to the game is uh, in order to decide what your characters are doing is you do a one word at a time around the circle goal for the game so you start like oh. we are trying to rob a bank because we need you know and like so you don't know where it's going to end up yes ultimately you just one word at a time so yes you know, i love that i love like little collaborative things like that microscope you know as, as far as a world building tool is as much that same way I've, I've had dreams for a long time and i think people have done it plenty um, of cre like creating the world with the group and then playing a game. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, there are whole systems dedicated to that now. Like this is just a system where you are creating a world. This is just a system where you're creating a dead language. Like there's all sorts of stuff out there. People love to tell stories together. It's like the most popular creative writing exercise that my students ever do is do something where they write a sentence and then pass it along. It's the ex exquisite corpse of yeah. collaboration it's at, it's at the heart of long form improvisation yeah just, you know just telling a story where you're all just making up it as you go and there's just a few rules to make sure that everybody plays the same way anyway yeah now we can trans <laughs> now we can transition i mean it, it's kind of, it's like so connected because our next our next topic is collaborating in game design so and i i have experienced doing this like I really only make games with my partner, Alex. Um, I've only made a couple games by myself. And uh, I know Craig, like you just did Secrets of the Vibrant Isle with somebody. Um, and yeah, it's, it's collaboration is one of the best ways to come up with something that you would have never done yourself. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, when I was um, younger, I would, me and my brother tried to co-create a game and one of the things we ran into was like he'd have his set of ideas that uh he'd want the game to be like about and and i'd have my set of ideas and this was not the right thing to do but we compromised by just taking the union of that um and i think that's really not a good way to go. I, I think taking the union of everybody's ideas um, leads to a game that's too complex and hard to play. And I actually think the intersection is probably a closer to what you want. So yeah, that, that game really never got off the ground. Um, 
in part because each turn took two hours. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> the play testing just didn't work out. And, and, you know, I was, I was designing this game with my brother and he just didn't want to give anything up. Uh, it just had to have every element in it. It had, it had like spies. It had, it had a uh, trade. It had aristocracy, uh, um, you know, nobles and stuff and just military and just like every single element you can imagine. And he didn't want to give anything up uh, to make the gameplay go faster. And so basically <laughs> it just never got off the ground. So I think, I think it's really important to, you know, before you begin to just agree on something that's a doable and B isn't too complex. Yeah. For my partner and I, um, Alex, we will sit and we'll just kind of riff off of what the other person is saying. And it works out really well because, you know, we, we have similar ideas. We have similar things that we like in games and just being able to build on each other's ideas when we're sitting and having a conversation like, Oh, Oh, that sounds really cool. Well, wait, wait, let's take it in this direction and just building from there. Um, instead of uh, that cumulative, like, okay, this and this and this and this. It's more like this, but but like this instead. Or wait, not that, try this. Um, a lot of our game ideas and like mechanics ideas, we get by just sitting down and, and talking about it and editing each other's ideas as we go. Um, it's It's really helpful to have him when I'm trying to come up with stuff because... He's a sounding board for me and he'll tell me if my idea won't work and I can do the same thing for him. So it's not that we're trying to do both things or the union of those two things. It's uh, it's really it, it, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts when we work together that way. Right. Um, yeah, like our most recent game, like the Means of Magic came out of a like a couple hour car ride conversation that we had. We're just like, oh, what if we what if we tried? And then we went from there. Uh, it's it's really helpful for me um, too. And I, I mentioned this on a, another podcast I was on recently. So I'm, I'm trying not to repeat myself too much because um, I feel like I'm. The audiences don't overlap. I know yourself. that's true. I'm just trying not, I'm not, I'm trying not to repeat what I've just said. And right. remember, <laughs> I have a, my memory is difficult for me. Um, but uh, it's it's helpful to have someone also to motivate me through a project because I give up projects really quickly as soon as I encounter an obstacle and uh, Alex will be there to be like, okay, well, you have to sit down and do this now. Go on. <laughs> Remember that idea? Do it. <laughs> we, we yeah. committed to this. <laughs> yeah. That's actually a good point. It's a, it's a handy motivator is having someone else that's going to kind of um, help to, to remind you to, to do things um, or uh, encourage or whatever's needed to kind of keep everything moving. Cause I know that's for me, when I'm designing stuff by myself, it's um, you know, it works out. My system for me works out fine because I'll just, I'll just jump between different designs. Like when I hit a, a point where I'm stumbling a little bit on one thing, I'll just go work on another thing and I'll come back around to it. And eventually, you know, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully um, it'll clear up in my mind. But if, if you're, you know, especially if you're just working on one or two things, if you've got a partner, um, you've got somebody else to, to bounce that all off of. I find myself wondering um, with 
uh, collaborative duos or trios? Like what, what's the, what's the assignment, you know, what's the, what are the roles? Um, I imagine, you know, you, in, in simplest forms, you could have one person that like, they love the rules. They love to do dice mechanics and rules and figure out how that's all going to function and support the game. And the other person is like, they write the world and develop the lore and like really kind of make the narrative flow. And, and then the two people can kind of marry those things together. Um, what, what have you run into? Like what, what systems seem to work um, at least for you or just suggestions about ways to kind of uh, divvy up the work, I guess. Before we tried to make it a board game, we tried to make it a computer game, this, this uh, collaborative effort with my brother. And, you know, he was a computer science major, but I'm, I'm a software developer by trade. So all the programming fell on me. <laughs> and um, he was, quote unquote, the idea guy. But then we could never really agree on what those ideas were. And we kept changing our mind. And yeah, so... Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, what your talent is, right? For me, my talent is software. So if you're writing a computer game, then, then obviously the person who knows software is the one who writes the software. <laughs> um, and if, if somebody's good at art uh, or is good at finding artists, you know, that would be their role. For me, um, Alex is the mechanics person. Like he's better at numbers. He's better at thinking about how things will actually be when you start playing them. Uh, and I do a lot of like the story building and I mean, I work with mechanics too, and he works with story building too. Um, but it's, it's helpful that he has kind of that more, um, more analytical kind of mind. Um, whereas I'm just, I'm not the best at it. And I am also a much better editor than than he is. Uh, I have to correct his comma splices all the time, uh, but <laughs> that's because my skill set lies in in that arena. Um, I, I'm a writer. I, I'm an editor. I'm a teacher, and I can uh, I can make sure that you're using a semicolon correctly. <laughs> and I'm also good at layout, so that's that's another thing that I can do that he can't. So it, it's it's nice to have those different skill sets to overlap. Although, of course, like you are working on some of the same things and you can jump in to help, but um, it's for us, what has really helped is kind of setting out a task ahead of time. Like, okay, Jess, you're going to work on this section. You're going to, you're going to create an introduction for the narrator's guide. And Alex, you are going to work on um, polishing up the, initiative order section uh, that we'll come back and we'll read it all together, edit it and make sure it all fits. And that's also, again, where we'll like start like, okay, what if we tried this? What if we tried this? Um, and then keeping a list where you check everything off as you go. So you make sure that you're not overlapping on everybody's stuff and everyone knows what's kind of going on in the project at the same time. I think having, having something on paper or digital, whatever it is, so you know who's doing what is a must when you're collaborating. Yeah, that's, that's a big nitpick for me. Pet peeve of mine at work um, mm -hmm. in, the, in the day job is like when I do have to work with somebody else on something, making sure we're not both doing the, the same work. Uh -huh. um, and so, yeah, like when, when, when Shireen and I wrote Secrets of the Vibrant Isle, um, basically I, I developed the, the game system bounced everything off of her, had her as a sounding board to say, well, that, you know, that's, that seems weird. Do we really need that? You know, like, you know, to kind of flesh that out. And then when we wrote the, uh, 
like the the narrative aspects of the game um she wrote more of those than what i did and um I, you know, basically just became the editor where like, if there was something that needed to, well, we, we've, we've got this one and this one, these are very, very similar. So let's make one of them significantly more different. And either I would do it in editing, or I would just ask her to tweak something and just, and we had a big spreadsheet. <laughs> that yeah. had, like, Here's all 90, uh, you know, uh, narrative things that need to be written. And we, we know in, in, in the spreadsheet listed the requirements of what needed to be in each one. We needed to have these types of checks. We needed to have this, these types of items that the characters are going to find. These are the magic effects and the monsters and the things that you're going to run across. And uh, yeah, that was, it was, it had been quite a while since I had done a collaboration like that, where it was very, very back and forth. And uh, yeah, absolutely. A, a method to track each other's madness um, and keep yeah. track of, of what everybody's doing and make sure that you're, you know, not doing, you're not repeating each other's work. Yeah. It sucks to repeat each other's work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of, one of the areas where Alex and I both struggle is organization though. So uh, our, we keep all of our files in Google drive and it is, chaos in there uh <laughs> until we start like sitting down I'm like okay I know that I made this copy of this file but I don't remember if I put it in my google drive or if it was in the shared folder so uh I mean that's a personal weakness of both of us so if if that kind of disorganization bothers you make sure you have ahead of time some sort of organizational system for sure <laughs> Oh gosh. Like that's, that's the biggest problem. Like I wish that one of us had a better skill set in that arena. Uh, we just don't, we just don't. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that because like Scabbard itself is designed to help GMs organize. It's like it solves that very problem for campaign notes, right? Like people have all these scattered files all over. Oh, that's written down on a piece of paper in the folder in the garage. This one's tucked <laughs> into the player's handbook. This one's online. This one is on Joe's, you know, hard drive. And it just tries to like bring everything in one place. And weirdly, I, I've started using Scabbard to actually manage my own tasks on Scabbard. Like it's, <laughs> a, it's a private campaign that no one else can see, but you know, it's primary strength is organization. And so why not use it to organize how I develop Scabbard? And that's what I do. Not su suggesting that everyone does that, but it, it works for me. And there are a variety of tools available. You can go looking for. Uh, yeah, a lot of people use organizational one. apps. I've heard OneNote is a really good general purpose organization tool. And yep. um, I use sometimes Notes on my on my Mac. Just whatever is easiest. Um, yeah, we like when you're saying like all these notes everywhere. That is, that is um, unfortunately my life right now as a as, as a designer. We have like little notes everywhere because Alex and I, like, I mean, we live together. We're partners. We like, we'll go to the coffee shop. We'll come up, we'll be talking. We'll suddenly come up with an idea, but we're away from our computers. So, and it goes to Alex's notebook, which then <laughs> we have to remember that it actually exists um, where we put that later. <laughs> so where we, whereas we do generate a lot of like cool ideas um, those cool ideas aren't really worth much if we uh, cannot find where we put those ideas and cannot remember what we said. My notes on my phone, um, that's another place where a lot of these things go. <laughs> also not the best place for them. Scattered everywhere. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I I have looked at. <laughs> um, um, and and all of this that we're discussing here um, makes me think about um, uh, on a, on a couple of occasions I've run into a an aspiring uh, game designer, someone who's interested in getting into it, and the um, the comment that I've heard uh, on, a, on a number of occasions is, you know, I love to do this, like I love to I love to world build but I, I just don't know what to do about rules. I don't know like what rule system is the right one to use it. I wouldn't know how to adapt it. I don't, I, I have no experience in developing rule set. You know, whatever your strength is, whatever the thing is that really draws you to it, you're going to be most passionate about that. That's the thing you're going to want to do the most. Um, and so if you're, you know, if, if you've got a thing, you know, like a major component that you, that's just not your, your gig, like it, you're just not into that um, and, and you, or you don't feel that you're ready to do that. You're like, maybe, maybe partnering is right for you. Mm -hmm. um, because I think that's, you know, a lot of partnerships have gotten started that way with, um, with people recognizing like, well, I, I, I really like this thing. I, I, I love this part of game design. Um, now I just have to find a person that loves this other part of game design. And, you know, that can extend to any sort of creative endeavor. That's why we have an art director for the means of magic, because I, I can look at pretty art and I can appreciate pretty art, but I cannot direct it and I cannot do it. So I need somebody who can do those things for me. Uh, I, I need, I need that outside eye. And I even need it for some of the things that I am good at. I need someone to look at what I've done and tell me like, okay, I've been staring at this page for an hour. My brain is not going to recognize anything on this page after a while. Can you look at this and tell me, is this as good as I think it is or as bad as I think it is? Just having having somebody um, there to fill in the skill gaps, like that's the best part for me for collaboration. Uh, and it, it does require a lot of trust and it requires a lot of communication and it requires you to be able to take criticism and know and have that trust that you're both or all of you are working toward creating something that is cool and and meaningful to all of you and it's not just someone criticizing you to be mean um, so if you are the kind of person who can't take a lot of criticism or you don't want that criticism collaboration wouldn't be for you and that there's not a problem if you want to make it your own game and you don't want to change anything that fine that's that's great but you can't do that and also have a partner in game design at the same time right. and not everyone's going to get what they want completely 100 yeah you can't take the union mm -hmm. exactly one case jess one case where unions are bad hey <laughs> hey we found it we found the one situation where unions are bad that's a <laughs> That's an activism joke. Everyone loves a good activism joke. <laughs> so everyone cut that out of context and make sure that you send that. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's also like, it's, it's just fun and cool to work with other people who, you know, appreciate the same kinds of things that you do and sit down and work with them. I mean, tabletop games, it's, it's such a collaborative thing anyway. And it's just natural that we want to work with other people. We want to talk with other people. We want to get their feedback. Uh, I, I don't think I know any game designers out there who only make their own stuff always and don't have collaborators. 
I mean, even when you're hiring freelancers to write stuff for you or artists, that's a form of collaboration too. Um, it's not maybe the collaboration on the core design, but it's 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 almost impossible to to make mm. something from scratch, something big from scratch, you know, um, just by yourself. You have to be you have to be like an octuple threat. Like you have to have like eight or 10 really solid skill sets. (laughs) I would agree with that. I mean, I I just think that like, if you want a quality looking product, right. That's a really quality game. I I don't think any one person could do everything by themselves. No, I just don't. No, I mean, I've made, I've made games by myself, a couple micro games by myself. Including Um, the art. Oh, well, including the art, but it was, you know, photo manipulation. So even that, I mean, it's stuff that I I took and I edited um, on my own. Um, So uh, it's not like I went out and hand drew everything either. So even then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like uh, Nowhereville is photo manipulation for art. And I did all the design and layout. um, But even that had an editor and a cartographer. That was as minimal as I got. There's, because I'm, because when it comes right down to it, every every writer needs an editor. So you're always you you can't edit your own work. That that mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely no, you can't. Well, I mean, if you if it's like a, a little short thing, like you can run it through a bunch of filters and you know or uh, spell checkers and really drone on it and you know put it down <laughs> put it down, come back to it in a week, you know, with fresh eyes and all that sort of thing. But if it's a big book, you really editors editors are invaluable. Like I'm looking right or if it's now. Complex. So I have my my four e D and D players handbook. Um, that was on my bottom shelf of my bookshelf and my dog got a hold of it. So it's like, this. it's now I use it to hold my microphone and my cup of water. And I'm looking at this cover of it right now. And uh, there are three names right on the front page there. So if you, if you're getting anything from uh, Wizards of the Coast right now, it's that collaboration is the key in the industry. Um, it is not, this is not written by one person. This is several different people. And if I opened up the book right now, you would also see that list of all the different people who were doing editing and playtesting and, and art and layout and rules and I, every I other little thing. I don't think a core book from a publisher of any size has been written by one person, solely one person in decades. No. If it's a core book of any of any half of like if it's if it's a big book, there's at the very even if there's one name on the front, there's usually additional design by and there's mm-hmm. a half dozen people who like fleshed out little things here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you go back to like, I think, was it third edition that had one name on each book? There's something there, uh, there money, was some money. Could. Yeah, but there were the, but that was only because they were the lead. On that uh-huh. book, like there were three people that were kind of doing the thing, and one of them was the lead on one, one lead on the other, one lead on the other, and they all worked on all of them, but one kind of got the, the you know, lead credit. Yeah, um, unless it's a you know a much unless it's a fairly small project, mm-hmm. even a, you know smaller game, um, but anything that's got any size to it, <laughs> yeah, lots of lots of people were involved. Um, I was there was something else I was thinking of and I forgot. Go ahead, uh, say what you, you know, whatever whatever else you have. Maybe it'll pop back into my head. But no, I was just gonna say that I really I really enjoy collaborative design and uh, it's my preferred way to work. I I need somebody to tell me that my idea sucks or is good. I need that. <laughs> that that makes me think. Um, I'm a big proponent of knowing where your cheering section is. 
Um, I talk about that um, when it comes to Kickstarters and with other things as well. It's like, no, no, where, 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 if it's just your, if it's your friends and family, or if it's, uh, if you're, you know, you're established for a little bit and you've got a, like a little bit of a fan base and people that come to your community, whether it's on a Facebook group or discord or your own website or forums or whatever, um, you know, like, uh, the the collaborator is built in cheering section because there is no one who is more interested in seeing you succeed than the person who is immediately directly collaborating with you so um even if you know like if they're giving you feedback that's great but also like when that other person gives you like hey that looks great i love that that means it just bolsters your efforts and makes you feel like hey yeah. we're, we're accomplishing something i'm getting there and you do the same for the other person and help uh, kind of keep everybody motivated that's incredibly useful. It really is. And, so, <laughs> and often necessary. <laughs> Especially, yeah, like as we've talked about many times and many people online talk about, it's like, you know, getting that compliment from a fan, getting somebody at a convention telling you something or dropping by your website or something and saying something, leaving a review. Those are all great things. And like when you've got a collaborator, you've got somebody that's like right there in your mm -hmm. corner all the way. Now, what do you guys think of like playtesters as... As a, as a form of collaboration, um, you know, when they give feedback about the game and it sort of feeds back into the next iteration. I mean, they're not maybe directly designing it with you, but I feel like playtesting um, feedback is pretty important and is really collaborative in a sense. Oh, um, I 100% agree with that. Yeah. When it's when you've got especially if you've got multiple rounds of playtesting, it's not terribly different from passing the design back and forth between two designers. Mm -hmm. um, just one person's bearing more of the load, the designer as opposed to the playtesters, where you put out the game, they play test it, they come back to you with feedback on this, that, and the other thing. Um, like sometimes it depends on how you, you know, how you ask for for feedback and how your playtests are kind of structured. Mm -hmm. but like I just sent playtest material out for Code Warriors, and one of the items in there was literally what equipment is missing from this setting? Like, what is, like, I've got a, an equipment list. I racked my brain for all sorts of cool stuff. Like, what else needs to be there? Um, you know, what, uh, what uh, uh, like, the, the characters are programs in a computer world, so they have upgrades, right? So that's, like, your cyberware and your cool kind of built-in abilities. Like, what upgrades are missing? What would right. be a cool glitch for a character to have beyond the ones that I've listed for you? Like, so, like, yeah, like, some of that stuff's going to, somebody's going to have a suggestion there and you know they may just kind of say like okay something called this or something that you know one sentence does this but some people are going to like <laughs> i know it i know it some people are going to write like a three four three sentence entry of like this is the cool thing that should go in there we invented this for our play test <laughs> so it's in our game anyway so you might as well put it in the game you know or whatever right. <laughs> cool it's very useful any other thoughts ed i, I think this has been a good discussion i I, like I mentioned earlier, like my, my main experience with co-design is with my brother and it was a failure. Um, but I actually, you know, I actually think that people underrate failure, right? Whenever you read a business book, it's always advised someone who is successful, uh, but you can learn from failures too. And I think one of the, the big takeaways again was like, you gotta, you gotta, I know I've said this, but I think it's important is you gotta have a, you gotta have a commonly agreed on set of 
design principles or design elements that that just doesn't and you have to have a way of collab of part of the collaboration is this compromise mm -hmm. and you can't just say okay we'll put everything in <laughs> i mean it i can tell you that that was the reason why we failed uh, was oh, I, I think you're absolutely right ed and failure is incredibly useful um there are, you know, I've, I've attempted designs that like went nowhere and I was like, well, mm, that's, that's a thing that doesn't work. Um, you know, you learn from that. You, and, and when it comes to like collaboration, if you get into a partnership on something and you collaborate and you're working on the thing and it's just not gelling, it's just not coming together. Maybe that's just not a good partnership. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Um, I mean, ultimately, you know, it, it needs it needs to work for both people because it's a collaboration needs to work for each person individually, but it needs to work for the two of them kind of as a, as a unit as well. And those are like mm -hmm. different things, like whether you yourself are feeling feeling like you're getting stuff done, and whether the group is also kind of moving everything forward. Um, right. So you know, if it if it doesn't work, you can find another collaborator there's way we just recently we talked on the podcast about like when's it time to give up <laughs> like yeah. when does when do you hit the wall on something and decide well that's as far as we're going with that um keep that in mind with you know with collaboration that can be the case too yeah kind of a downer to wrap out the segment on but <laughs> well, you know, you know just, I actually, we're shooting truth bullets at you everybody i've actually learned a lot from my failures yeah. um and but you can never you would never get a publisher to to publish a book on on failure because it wouldn't sell. But I actually think, you know, you learn more from failures than success. That's been my experience. That's why I love the fail forward systems in games. That's my, it just makes sense to me too. That's all of my biggest learning experiences have been from failures as well. I don't learn anything from being successful. I just do that same thing again. I love being successful. I enjoy being successful more than anything else. And I learn more than anything, um, learn more from being successful than I do from uh, failing. And I'm just saying this to be the dissenting opinion <laughs> because, because that's how you do a talk podcast, right? Where you just, somebody has got to disagree. Otherwise it's just everybody, you know, patting each other on the back. <laughs> but yeah, failure is important. Failure. You can For learn sure. from failure. It's nice to be able to share that failure too. If you are working with a collaborator, like, oh, oh it's not I just my telling, fault. <laughs> I love telling the story of, of, of you know, there's a, a few in particular that are really good uh, stories for like, you know, I did this thing and it just, it just crashed and burned. It just didn't work. I don't, I, I have no problem telling that those stories. I've told a few on this podcast. Yeah. Well, Ed, this has been really fun and we thank you for joining us. Where can we find you and the things that you are doing? Yeah, I think that it's been great being on this podcast, Craig and Jess. I, I thought it was a great discussion. Um, so I guess the best way would be to go to that URL that I gave at the beginning of the podcast, which is scabbard.com slash nerdburger. And that has a way of, you can download that PDF and it'll put you on my GM tips newsletter, which I send out once or twice a week. And it just covers GM tips. And so if I make an upgrade to the product, I, I talk about that there as well. Um, you can also join my, if you go to the forum page on my website, you can either join the Facebook group or you can join the discord and just, you know, stay in touch, you know, so send me a note. I go by Stolf, all my, all my people, 
on my website, they call me Stolf because that's the name of my favorite character ever. <laughs> uh, so yeah you can find me at uh, wannabegames.com or on twitter at, at joska but the big thing i want to promote right now is the kickstarter for the means of magic which is a fantasy ttrpg set in the post magic industrial revolution where you fight medica corpse causing climate disaster um you can find that at uh, on kickstarter or at bit.ly forward slash means of magic with a k at the end and uh, I am at NerdBurgerCraig on Twitter. Uh, the website is NerdBurgerGames.com. And uh, there's a lot of games over at DriveThroughRPG.com as well. If you go to the website, there's links to the Twitter and the Facebook group and the, the Discord and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Well, also, I want to give a shout out to our opening and closing theme song maker. It is Avel by Steph Sachs, which was licensed under Creative Commons. Thank you, Steph Sachs. And thank you all for listening. And we will see you back here next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.